0: It's Monday night, and here we go. It's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and we've got another great show on tap for you tonight. And full disclosure, Ira, this show is previously recorded. You are not in studio, but I'm going to give you a pass on this one. You've got a really good reason.
1: Yeah, I'm going to Final Four in Houston. We're it in, in the morning, so it gives me a chance to get down to the stadium earlier, and the uh, show will be air 7 to 8, and then we'll the end the, the game will be at 9 20. So I'm so pumped to be in Houston for this week. I love the Final Four. I've been to, I remember in Minneapolis, when Duke was, beat Michigan, I was with the Lane or Hurley teams, I was in Indianapolis, Duke of Wisconsin, I was in New Orleans last year, Kansas over Carolina. Yeah, they have done an amazing job, the NCAA, with how they do the Final Fours in the city. Uh, the FanFest, downtown. Um, the, uh, the just the uh, everything about it makes it. It is. It is. It is a lot of fun. It is even better. I wouldn't say better than the Super Bowl because it's, I would say it's different than the Super Bowl. But from a fan experience, if you weren't even going to go to the game, you probably have more fun things here to do than at the Super Bowl.
0: And we'll talk more about that uh, in just a minute. What have you been up to this week? Because I know it's been another busy one.
1: Oh, it was crazy. So I was at tennis on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then flew here Thursday. I saw the final, uh, you know, Saturday I go to the national championship, the semifinals. Yesterday, the Lakers, I I didn't even look at the NBA schedule. I'm like, usually they have it on Friday. The Rockets played the Pistons, didn't go to that game. But on Sunday, the Lakers came in. So I got to see the Lakers play the Rockets last night. So this has been great to see the final four on Saturday, Lakers, Rockets, Sunday, and tennis. Great tennis matches on Tuesday and Wednesday at the Miami Open. So this was a a full week of sports.
0: Ira, I'm a little disappointed. No uh, Houston Astros game?
1: Um, <laughs> they, and it was open. That's why this is so exciting. I guess it was so hard to get hotel rooms or everything. The Astros opened, but the games just didn't follow the right time. And It, it is crazy. The Astros, just see it up the logistically, the NRG Stadium, where those where the uh, Texans play and where the Final Four is is outside the city about five miles the, where, the, where the Toyota Center where the Rockets play is downtown right next to the Convention Center which is also right next to Minute Maid Field where the baseball team plays so it's too, too bad that the football stadium is in downtown but um, everything is really downtown or except for the stadium, the football stadium which is outside the city.
0: And Ira we're going to have, he's quickly becoming our favorite guest here on IRON Sports. Coach James Young is going to join us in about uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Minutes.
1: yeah tons of energy he, i i can't wait to have him break down the championship game and summarize what the final four is he's going to be broadcasting i think on sears tonight um the game like an alternative broadcast and, and whatever so it to be great to have james on he's quickly becoming a superstar in broadcasting for college basketball and pro basketball. So can't wait to have him back on the show.
0: Don't forget, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on sports. See some of the amazing pictures and videos he's taken off from the last week uh, hanging out in Houston. But let's talk about Houston. Ira, it seems like, you know, what you said earlier is kind of mimicked by everyone who's at the as at the final four that Houston's really knocking this out of the park. And it's just a fantastic fan event. Like you said, whether you're actually going to the games or not, it's just been fantastic.
1: I'll tell you what, go to the go to the Hilton downtown, which is there's no guard, you can just walk in. It is everything I mean I was there within three minutes I saw Jim Beheim, Mark Few. John Calipari, which is which, is like, and they just walk around by themselves. <laughs> it's not like they have entourages or whatever. You could, you could go. I saw a little kid go around and around. He was getting autographs. I think he said he had a hundred coaches. I think mean, that's pretty amazing. But it's it's great, and it's like they're all here, all the coaches. It's like the coaches convention that comes here. So it's like the whatever the, the everyone from every college coach, all they come here. They come here for the conventions, for the meetings. Now a lot of them leave. They just they leave on Sunday. But uh, it, that's what's exciting. Now in the middle of the city is this fan fest which at the convention center, which I have never seen, the Super Bowl had never had a fan fest like this. You could go in there for $10 and like every single company you could imagine, from Coca-Cola to, uh, perhaps everyone had a booth where you could be shooting and these amazing games, these video games, all this stuff from basketball. You could sit hours and hours in the entire convention center, like a mile long of just different events. So that was pretty cool. And then they had a uh, concert series last night right in the heart of the city where they had Tim McCraw, Keith Urban, the same thing as you had in New Orleans. So. It's it is and that was free. So it's like, it is an amazing atmosphere. Houston's done so many. It's amazing. They have, they have like hundreds of cars that I'm staying in a hotel a little outside the city and Buick has this Buick experience where you can just go up to some business, this service they have and they just without even an Uber and just say, can you drive me somewhere? And they'll drive you there for free. It's how nice <laughs> it is. It's, it's amazing. There's tons of Ubers here. They do have public transportation out. So I'm really impressed. Houston has hit this ball out of the park and, uh, you know, with everything going on from the Rockets to the Astros to the final four, amazing.
0: We'll talk about the game in just one second. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, any issues getting tickets? Sometimes you have like funny run-ins. How did the uh, ticket process go? Because obviously you have to get multiple sets of tickets here.
1: Yeah, I bought. I don't have a ticket for tonight's game. I bought a ticket. It was a lot. It was a little more expensive than I thought it would be. I thought the tickets would go down in price because the teams just don't have big fan bases. I mean, last year, remember Kansas uh, too, Carolina, huge fan bases. I'm like. FAU, Connecticut, and Diego State. I didn't really think there was going to be Miami, but there were a lot of stands there. Now, the arena didn't look totally filled, like at the tippy top, which I expected because of the seats are. What they do with the seats is they put the uh, the stadium, the court is in the middle, like on the 50 yard line, and then they build a court around, build like a stadium around that on the lower levels to make it all close to the end. And then they use like the club levels, and then the upper levels stay the same. It's the, but, but the, uh, um, pitch of the seats, as they say, it, when someone's sitting in front of you, you're blocked. You don't really have that, that clear view. So I didn't like that. Also, I sat in the Connecticut section. Oh, it was terrible in terms of like the first game was awesome. <laughs> Nobody was around me. I'm taking videos, pictures, everything. When the Connecticut game started, like after every single play, they're high fiving. They're getting up. They're standing up. The guy in front of me decided he wanted to lead cheers. So he's standing on his chair and leading cheers with his back to the back. <laughs> the court is the actions going on. So it's absolutely crazy. But this for this game, I'm not sitting in the Connecticut section. There are tickets available, and I will not sit in that section because they, they totally are always high fiving each other after, like, they think I'm on the court or something. So I'm going to be on the other side, the Connecticut side. And the Santa State side was the same side, so other, uh, the across the court is when where the FAU and Miami teams were. I'll be able to get better tickets there, we'll not have to stand the whole time.
0: So let's get into the games, Ira. Uh, first up was uh, San Diego State versus our hometown heroes, the FAU Owls. And, and Ira, you know you're not here in South Florida. The sentiment going around is obviously people are disappointed, but really, really proud of what Dusty May and the Owls achieved this year. It was a heartbreaking loss on, on Saturday night, but, you know, we've got to deal with it and we're looking forward to uh, next year.
1: It was a crazy game. I, I mean, San Diego State started at 14-5 and the Connecticut fans that were around me were like, oh, we've got to root for FAU because San State looks like the better team. But then, FAU did not let this game get away from it. They came tied at 17-17 at halftime. They're up 40-33. Um, and then, at 49, I thought this game was over with 15 minutes ago in the game. It's 49-40, FAU's leading. And then there was a foul on senior state's uh, Paris. Then there was, like, a technical foul. And Elijah Martin went to the foul line, made five free throws, made it 54-40. So you're thinking, you know, five-point play, 54-40, that's going to break the back of senior state. But from that point on, they went on a 32, 17 run. Uh, Bradley uh, made a the three point shot. Paris made a three point shot. They made some other shots. And then with seven forty-six to go, I, I called like a hockey game, broke out almost 65, 60 FAU and seeing as they just kept missing shots, but getting the offensive rebounds just constantly. There's a point at one minute where they got six offensive rebounds um, they went, FAU went four minutes without scoring, but they almost went, I think they took two foul shots in the period time from turnovers to offensive rebounds. Senior State wasn't shooting well. They were three for six from free throws, one for four from two point shots, finally tied it at 65-65, but... It was at that point, it was, like, it was like there was a chance I thought FAU had to go, like, let's make it 70-60. They just could not get that distance. And then even then they made it 67-65. And then the funny thing is, they made it 67-65, and Parrish River, San Diego State, misses two free throws. And then Bradley misses a free throw. It made it 67, 67 But then Janelle Davis made those free throws at the end, which were crucial. You know, he clearly made those, those, uh, the, those big free throws. Martin made a Madeleine made it 7-68. And then Lede made a quick 2 7170. And then San Diego State made a smart move. You know, for how it ended up, they didn't foul. They let, uh, they, they, they let, uh, you know, Davis, uh, dribble, you know, m- strive for a layup. He misses the layup. Then they don't call the timeout. They're about seven, eight seconds to go, and Butler drives down. And it was, I think, the first time. Now, Suggs. Uh, a couple years ago for uh, Zagat uh, won the game, but the game was tied against UCLA on the three. And there's been four other times, I think, where there's been game winners, you know, in the final four. But this is the first time ever in the final four that a shot, when a team was losing a shot, made the shot with no time left to win. So just devastating. I mean, it was like, wow. I mean, you went from thinking FAU had this game won two, it's over and they lost and a lot of class FAU players showed a tremendous amount of class uh, in the loss and, and how they played but certainly should be very proud of their season how they played the game being in the final four uh, everything about it was amazing
0: and Ira to me the biggest win from, from this season is probably that Dusty May is coming back you know you and I were talking you know a week or so ago like he's going to get some kind of massive offer from a top college and he's going to go and he's got every right to do that but he's going to return to FAU
1: yeah, because the, the jobs have all been <laughs> filled. Unless now, of course, some big name job could open up, and then he be hes gonna be the top candidate for any type of job that comes out. But I'll tell you what, in basketball, it's like when you've got—he's got a great team coming back. Uh, coaching at Boca Raton is not the worst place in the world to be a coach. They're going to give him a ton of money. So the point is, maybe just stay there and create your own program. It's pretty easy to recruit to Boca. And so I, I, for maybe a year or two, he stays. It, it's interesting. so Everybody's looking to find a better job, a better location, bigger, bigger program, those things. But he has the players, likes coaching. Some some, play, some coaches just stay in the program and develop it there. Look, everyone thought Mark Fee was going to leave Gonzaga. And now he's making Gonzaga power. Everyone's always not going to stay at Gonzaga. What's Gonzaga? He'll go to a big-time program. So who knows? But it's great that Dusty may be back
0: another year. Yeah, and we should remind you that uh, all season long, we were giving away tickets to FAU floor seats. Hopefully we can uh, get that arranged for you uh, once again next season. I do have a feeling those tickets are going to be a little tougher to come by. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Coach James Young going to join us in a couple of minutes. We love him on this show. You're going to love him too. He's going to break down uh, everything that you saw, give his predictions uh, for tonight as well. UConn and Miami, Ira. And this was one... You know, FAU, like we said, it looked like they were on cruise control. It looked like they were going to win that game, and then they they fell at the end. Miami just kind of never got things going. They didn't look like the team we'd seen in the games prior.
1: Right. I mean, UConn got out to a 9 nothing lead. Uh, Miami made it 21-19, and then it, that was it. I mean, then UConn went made it 34-24, and it stayed almost double digits the rest of the game. Uh, and, it, it, and it was like Carabon, that three at the end, they are the expert at the end of the first half, and made it 37-24, so it being a 10-point, it was 13 points. Uh, Miami shot 9 for 36 in the first half, 25%. UConn shot 50%. The second half was the same thing. UConn goes up 20 Wong made it a three to make it 53-45. But the moment that they, you ever just get, you know, Miami fans got excited, then UConn goes and makes like four baskets in a row. Uh, but it was like UConn dominated the boards 41-32. to 32. Everybody from UConn can shoot the three. Sunogo made two free. Hawkins three threes. Carabaugh uh, a three. Uh, it was just one of the – and just from the rebounding perspective, as I said, Klingon came in and just seemed like they could just – it was almost like they would just miss a shot, get the rebound, get the rebound again. Uh, and they have been blowing everybody out. I mean, the line is seven for tonight, but they beat Iona by 24, St. Mary's by 15, Arkansas by 23, Gonzaga by 28, Miami by 13, which probably was even more than that. So I just, you know, it's, it's UConn is a type of team that at one point in the season well, lost six out of eight games in the middle of the season. Um, people liked how they played well in the beginning of the season, but I, you know, they are just dominating this tournament, and, and they get that lead, and they just they cruise.
0: So you want to talk about tonight's game? Uh, Obviously, you are there. We're doing this show uh, pre-recorded because I was at the national championship tonight. I I really don't think anyone's giving (laughs) San Diego State any chance. But to me, what we've seen so far in this tournament, anybody can win any game. And seven points to me, I I think that this is like a fair fair number based off what's happened. But I'm not going to be surprised if San Diego State pulls off the upset.
1: I don't think Connecticut is that great a team, so I don't think they're that great a team. I just have watched Indiana State. River. I was there in Orlando, so I saw them against Charleston. I saw them against Furman. They they have trouble scoring, like they really do. They 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 shot thirteen for twenty two from the foul line against FAU. They were missing foul shots. I'm just I just don't think they can keep up. I think Connecticut could score at ease and whenever they want to. I just I can't see. I mean, San Diego State is going to have to play great defense, but I just see UConn just getting the same thing, getting that lead. If UConn's down 10-15, they're going to just start draining threes and come back. I, I just don't think San Diego State, if they get down anything, 10 is going to be able to come back. They, I, I just don't see it. But, as I said, I don't think UConn is that great a team. Plus, they could get in foul trouble. But UConn does have players. I mean, they do have some a bench that comes into the game. I just, but I do like the fact that San Diego State is a senior-dominated team. These guys know how to play. You saw how they played at the end of the game. They won close games. They won the Creighton game, so if the game gets close, they're not, they're not going to choke in when the pressure gets to them. But I just – I i would be crazy to say that – to think that there is a pass for City State to win, but I just don't see it that bad.
0: <laughs> it's Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Of course, you can follow Ira all across social media at Ira on Sports. Let's talk about the women for a minute here, Ira. And I will admit, I watched these games. And, and you know, I've never been huge on, on uh, you know, women's NCAA basketball – but people are telling me, like, these are going to be some really good games. We've got some fantastic athletes. we got teams like South Carolina, the reigning champs, haven't lost a game. So I tuned in, and the rest of America did, too, because it looks like the ratings for these games are phenomenal. Let's talk a little bit about LSU and Virginia Tech.
1: Well, that was just it was a win. LSU beats Virginia Tech seventy nine seventy two. Remember, Kim Mulkey had won three titles with Baylor. She surprisingly left Baylor, which is a, was a shock. I would say that she would leave a three time. I mean that you don't really have a coach like that. But now she's from Louisiana, went back to Louisiana, she had a trouble with the administration, was fighting with the administration at Baylor and decided just I'm really gonna leave. And rarely do you see that. I mean you don't I mean you really don't it, but she came back, uh she came to Louisiana and within two years now she had transfers like Angel Reese who uh, was the MVP of the tournament, come and transfer in with NIL money, transfer portal, but winning that win in Virginia Tech,
0: 79-72. And then Iowa and South Carolina, this was a game where I, I thought South Carolina was, was going to roll over Iowa, but Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes said, not so fast.
1: Well, I saw Iowa against Louisville, Clark was 11 for 19, 8 for 14 from threes, 11 for line, 41 points, 12 assists, 10 boards, one of Amazing performance I've ever seen. And yeah. then she comes with South Carolina, and South Carolina was clearly. The better team. I mean, they—they they, not only were they thirty-six and zero. They have blew teams out. This LSU team that won the national title—they beat LSU by twenty-four points uh, like a month ago. Like they, that's how South Carolina is. Just their size is. Elia Boston is just so big and strong and powerful. But there's just a taller team, and they just—they literally. This is a crazy game. They had a fifty, to, the forty-nine to twenty-five rebounding advantage. But Clark was amazing. I mean, the three-point shot she made, the drive she made. Um, I was up 22 13 after one, and then 38 37 and half. And then you're thinking, South Carolina's been down before in games, and they just win. They score like 20 points in a row, and it's over. And then the third quarter, I hung on. And then the fourth quarter, I could not believe, you know, she was driving. And with all the size South Carolina have, I couldn't believe that Dawn Staley did not put one of their big, just said, we're not going to let them do a layup. We're not going to let her come and have a layup. But she just, with her first step is amazing. Her pull up shots were tremendous. But also, she is very Steph Curry like in terms of her her passing is amazing. She throws, she knows how a pass. LeBron liked, too. I mean, LeBron, I was saw LeBron Sunday night. Her ability to see the court, to get her other players involved, uh, do the pick and rolls perfectly. She just makes the perfect pass, um, and she's a great shooter. And that's what makes her so much fun to watch. She plays with so much energy and that was amazing that south carolina game because you just kept waiting for a second to win that game and clark just kept making these shots and and she was you know she's not on the court they're going to lose by 30 and she's just it was really cool to see that and and see south carolina struggle and i just think that they I don't think they played it right and i got concerned going you know if i was going to root for iowa in the championship game i said malkey is not going to make the same mistakes that don staley did um because even asked uh Car Clark, they said, well, when you did your pick and rolls, like, well, how'd you like to guard it? They go, oh, it's interesting how they chose to guard, which means I don't know why they guarded me that way. Malky, of course, as you saw in the championship game, did not, with the officials too, did not let uh, Clark have those drives that was, she was able to do against South Carolina.
0: So let's go to uh, LSU and Iowa. It was the, uh, the the championship game last night, and this was one where, like you said, with Kim Malky coming from, you know, she's already a Hall of Famer. Now she's got a team, you know, two years later in the championship game, you had to be looking at this like, man, this, this is the team to beat here. Iowa just upset South Carolina, and it ended up being that way because what a fantastic game from LSU.
1: Yeah, but it was one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. First of all, they immediately hurt Clark. None of the defenses. I, Clark's smart did not get fouls. She knows she has to stay in the game. But when you start calling offensive fouls on players, that's a problem, and they call two quick offensive fouls on her. So she had three fouls for so three minutes left in the first half. Two of them were offensive. I, LSU had not shot threes all year, well, all, all season, really. And Carson was just amazing which was was shooting threes. Uh, the last three games, she was 0 for 3, 0 for 2, and 0 for 1 from three. This game, she was 5 for 6 with 22 points. Uh, but they just took this lead out. And with the foul trouble that Clark was in, uh, the other two, uh, Warnock and Cesino, uh, got in foul trouble too. They had four fouls. And then the worst call of all it was the technical on Clark. Uh, the fact that she just like pushed the ball and pushed it where the ref was going to be. They called it tactical on the late game, which counts as a personal foul to give her the fourth foul. One of the worst. I mean, she clearly is a star. Like they, that, Nobody should get a foul, a technical on that. And then I criticized the officials because they called that a technical foul, but Kim Mulkey, no technicals. And you could see her on the court. She is in that uh, beaded outfit or whatever she had on. And she was literally on the court. At one point, I saw the video of her crashing into the referee, and then the referee, she was like holding on the referee, the referee had to push her away. No technicals, no nothing. I just thought it was, I thought Mulkey was got, I I have never seen a coach... I mean, Coach K would get technicals. I just cannot believe they would not call a T on her for that, but they gave a a T on Clark. But the officials were terrible. I thought the officiating was awful. It doesn't make a difference in terms of the game. No, Mulkey had a great defensive. But the fact is, you want to see Clark. You know, in that fourth quarter, you wanted to see Clark. The the women's game has four quarters, not the 220 twenty-minute halves. You wanted to see her make that attempt. You just don't want to see their entire... You don't want to see stars sitting on the bench on ticky-tack fouls. Uh, This, I thought, was just... I thought the game was ridiculous, and 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 the, uh, you know Reese and uh, she was on, and Alexis Morris got a foul trouble she was in the first half too. So on both sides, I just thought they were like the refs woke up and they said we're just going to call fouls the entire game and just took away from the entire aspect of the game. And then of course the the whole controversy at the end of the game, you know Clark has done that face gesture. You can't see me that John Cena does in wrestling, so she's done that before. I think that. Uh, Angel Reese at the end of the game did the face gesture. Clearly, she was walking around and taunting her as she's doing it. You had hoped that Angel would have maybe done it once and then just enjoyed winning the game. She just started following around with her then with the ring gesture. I mean, Curry does the same thing too. I think a lot of people, I just, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on that aspect. The fact is that the games were great. I thought Caitlin Clark was amazing to watch, and I just would rather not spend a zillion times talking about the, you know the gestures and how they, Clark plays hard. And you know, she didn't complain. She didn't say, "Oh, I was taunted." She saw she was being taunted, but you know, she said we lost the game. LSU played great. I didn't Malky said nice things to me. I got to play better. You know, all those things. She said all the right things, and I hope that gets a rivalry between LSU and Iowa for next year. So I think a lot of people are making. I don't. I'd rather not everybody just focus on what Angel Reese and Clark and the face gestures and those things. that just the amazing play of both teams and the amazing play of Caitlin Clark. I would, I would hope people would focus on
0: yeah, Let's go to uh, coach James young. Now here on iron sports. Can't wait to hear what he has to say about Caitlin Clark.
1: Well, we're so happy to have back on the show, James young former college basketball coach who is just been phenomenal the last two weeks and breaking down the NCAA tournament coach. Thanks so much for coming back on iron sports.
2: It's good to be on with you, Iro. Lucky for you, you're uh, you're at the final four. I'm stuck in New Jersey, so I think you're having a better time than me. <laughs> well, it's super hot today. It's like ninety degrees. I love it
1: out here. Um, let's just jump right into these tournaments. I mean, for South Florida, a lot of excitement going to the final four, and boy, after Saturday night, sadness, and that first game, Dings State FAU. What what a game! What an end of the game in terms of even that final, like, seven minutes where it seemed like it was – I compared it to a hockey game where San Diego State seemed to have the ball you know, just shooting, 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 and, and, and FAU could not get the, uh, the ball out of the puck, out of the zone, or the, the ball down the other side.
2: Yeah, you know, it, got, it became a problem. You know, you were wondering when San Diego State was going to try and use their size. You know, obviously with FAU playing four guards, they got away with it in the first half. Uh, and pretty much the beginning of the second half, and then I felt like they were hanging on for dear life. You know, giving up offensive rebounds on free throws, without boxing out. It just seems like San Diego State just kind of willed their way through their power to take on FAU. You know, obviously, you know, Janelle Davis got a great look at the basket. You know, maybe could he went for a little bit more of contact on that drive to kind of force the whistle. Tough going against the big. And listen, not for nothing, sometimes you just got to congratulate the kid. You know, smart play by Brian Dutcher, not holding a timeout, end of game. You know, Butler gets to his sweet spot, Hand was right in the face. You couldn't defend it any better. Sometimes you don't lose a game. Sometimes the other team just wins it.
1: I and mean, it's interesting that Butcher doesn't call. Not only did does he doesn't foul, I mean, he let the FAU – Run the clock down from 38 seconds down, knowing he'd have about seven or eight seconds to go. But it was, you know, there were some people would say just start fouling at that point. He didn't foul. And then, as you said, he doesn't call a timeout unless uh, uh, Michael Jordan style, you know, like Phil Jackson style, is going to let the team run don't, go, don't call the timeout.
2: Well, I think it was a smart play. Listen, you know, at the end of the day, what got San Diego State to where they are right now, Ira, it's their defense. Let's be honest, it's not their offense. So for him, he leaned on his defense to get that stop, probably thinking, hey, if you think about the end of the Kansas State game, what did FAU do, particularly Martin, knock down free throws at the end of the game. FAU shoots the ball great from the foul line, except for Vlad Golden, who obviously struggled from the foul line going one for five. But you don't call a timeout, Ira, because you don't allow FAU to set their defense. If they call a timeout on that rebound, Maybe, you know, Dusty goes with a little two-two-one or one-two-two two soft pressure to kind of slow it down. Plus, you get everybody matched up who you want to match stuff with. Probably in that situation, maybe we probably want to join Davis to be on uh, Butler, a little bit of a, a bigger guard um, to kind of contest a little bit more. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's more about Butler making the shot more than San Diego State not getting the stop. I mean, uh, F.A.U. not getting the stop. Yeah, I was on the side
1: where uh, FAU was shooting. So I didn't, when Butler came down, I actually have a great video of that. So I didn't see how close Butler came from stepping on the on the baseline. <laughs> it was very close with the foot. Uh, I saw the picture later. I was like, oh, he almost the guy stepped out. But, yeah, tremendous play. And uh, I think when you have a team, a senior-dominated team. You sort of let them play and know that they'll figure out a way to win in some way.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. You kind of let the team go and, and finish out the game and, and win or lose it that way. But it's almost a testament to, like, you know, when you look at FAU and, and, and Boca Raton stand up and applaud Dusty May. I mean, let's be honest, Ira. There should be a statue built at that guy already down there in Boca. But if you think about it, like, you look to that roster, let's be honest, Ira. They should be back. Like, they should be. Everybody comes back. They think was one you No one real in the rotation. If everybody comes back you got to look at this. FAU could be a top 15 team in the country before they even start the season. As long as everybody comes back, I suspect they will. Who knows with the transfer portal? Maybe you go get someone else. Maybe you go get a backup big, although Rosado was absolutely fantastic off the bench. He was probably better than Vlad Golden. Maybe Golden gets in the weight room, gets a little bit stronger. But at the end of the day... They should be back, Ira. They absolutely should.
1: And the most important thing is Dusty May is going to be back because not all the jobs have been filled. Unless something opens up in the next couple of months, it looks like at least for next year, Dusty May will be back. And it's probably the biggest return that they have
2: possibly. You know what? To be honest, it could be the biggest return in college basketball. I mean, if you think about it, like, with all the guys going out and leaving probably for the NBA and guys like Hunter Dickinson, you know, going into the transfer portal out of Michigan, You know, the biggest returner in the country may be Dusty May.
1: And let's turn now to the UConn-Miami game. Boy, I mean, it's like I look at these lines, the point spreads every game, and and Utah is like seven, five, four, and they just keep blowing these teams out. And they got out to that nine nothing lead, and it's just like they coast it almost seemed like, you know, Miami would have a little run, but it's like they're perfect at the end of the first half when they hit that three. It's like that's what exactly they did against Gonzaga. They they hit they drain the three at the end of the first half, they start the second with a run, game over.
2: Absolutely demoralizing when Carabin hit that three at the end. You know, you force a baseline drive. I think it was Newton. It looked like he was kind of out of control. And out of the corner of the eye, he did that skip pass, what we call it, to the window, weak side. And it almost like it was a set play for the three. And it was demoralizing. But to me, you know, you got to give UConn credit. Because let's be honest, they're, they're bludgeoning teams to death. And I don't think it's really going to change tonight. But what would have been if Poplar would have played a little bit better? What would have been if Miami didn't miss 14 layups. When you play a team like UConn, Ira, as great as they are defensively, when there's a lapse, even when it's a contested layup, you got to convert. But that could be also be about not just the toughness, but the size of UConn. When you look at Sunogo and Caravan and then clinging, clinging, uh, clinging coming off the bench, and Jackson at six foot seven, six eight. Even Newton as a big guard. Hawkins, underrated defender. You know, being from New Jersey and seeing if you were, you know, and you being from the area originally, we uh, was known the area a little bit. If you know anything about Bob Hurley Sr., the father, who coached St. Anthony legendary coach, that's the way they play. That's how Danny and Bobby were brought up. It was toughness. It was defense. And we are gonna break your will. By somehow, some way, and that's exactly what they did to Miami. And the toughest thing about it is, in the beginning of the game, it's what you didn't expect. It's Adonis Sinogo hitting two threes in the first three minutes. Once you hit those threes early on, as a Miami fan, you're probably like, really? And now this happens to us? It was a tough way to end the season, but hats off to Jim Larinaga. People need to start putting this man as one of the top. Five coaches in college basketball today.
1: Now let's turn to tonight's game.
2: Uh, I, I just, you know, San Diego State wants to use
1: their size, but UConn has the size. So this is going to be. It's hard to look. It's it's hard for me to think how (laughs) they're going to win this game, but maybe there is a path to
2: to victory. Well, their path to victory is very simple. They got to. They got to have the script that they did against Creighton, right? which is really make Sonogo work the way they made Kalkbrenner work offensively and defensively, but then you got to pray to God that Hawkins, that Jackson, then Newman, then Carabin, and then Clipper off the bench and all those kids shoot the ball poorly from three. That's got to be the recipe because if Adonik gets going early, and let's be honest, we saw it against Miami, he is more than capable. He's just not this low post bully ball, you know, back to the basket, big, you know, he beats you off the perimeter. He scores in transition. He scores in O boards. It's almost like you look at San Diego State and you look at UConn and San Diego State is a smaller version of UConn, meaning, you know, UConn is bigger. They're more athletic. They're longer. And then offensively, with Hawkins and Carabin and some of those others, they also – Shoot the ball better than the Aztecs.
1: No, so I'm, no, I'm pumped for this game. I, I mean, I do think, I mean, anything happened, and remember, the basketball game is 40 minutes. So it's a right. shorter game, and as soon as they get out, gets a lead, and those things you see happen to college basketball, it's a little bit different. It's not a 48 minute NBA game. So there is the chance, but I have just been impressed that Connecticut gets these leads on these teams, whether it's Arkansas, uh, and we saw it with Miami and Gonzaga. and they just get these leads, and, uh, uh, and they just they, they stay you know they they just stay up they just they just dominate and, and, and it's not even close and I think that's the most impressive we see runs and runs and runs in both pro and college basketball now it doesn't look like Connecticut allows the opponent to have this huge run that brings them back into the game
2: that's the key they hit you with haymakers and you hit them with jabs <laughs> and and, and, that, and that's the way you think about it, right I were like. UConn always gets the big run, and every time, if you look at Miami, where Miami got a little bit of a spurt, particularly say in the first half when Jackson got a second foul, it was a short run, and then UConn just adjusts, right? And he just turn it up a little bit more. And here's the thing, and this is what I'm going to say to people looking at this game tonight. If San Diego State thinks that they're going to go down by 10 late in the first half against UConn and storm their way back, I got a bridge to sell you. Because there's no way in hell that that's going to happen tonight. Brian Dutcher's got to play this game close to the vest. He's got to keep it tight. He's got to keep it close and hold down the stretch that they steal it. If they let UConn get to a 10-12, 13-14 point lead at any point during the game, I think it's over because of the fact that UConn can find a way to pour it on and then when you throw that jab, a Mike Tyson you right back, and you're knocked down to the ground.
1: James, before we let you leave, uh, go. I know he's super busy today, but just some comments on the women's tournament. I totally was watch. I watched the whole uh, semifinals, the final four. Caitlin Clark's impressive. LSU, absolutely amazing victory there. What's your comments overall in terms of of the women's tournament, and, and of course the Iowa LSU game, the Iowa South Carolina game.
2: You know, obviously you thought, and I think I saw this, I was talking to, to my guy Ben Stevens on Sports Grid uh, a little hour ago, and I think he said highest-rated basketball game in college since 2017. Male or female. That tells you how great of a women's tournament it was. I told someone this yesterday, and, and I argued this, and people have to understand this. Caitlin Clark... Next year, because remember, folks, she cannot go into the WNBA because the rules state you have to be 22 or graduating within three months of the draft. The draft is next week. She's 21 and doesn't graduate until next year. Caitlin Clark will come back to college next year. And with the COVID year, could have two years, especially with all the NIL money she could make. Caitlin Clark, ready for this, is the biggest college basketball star, in my opinion, since Patrick Ewing or Larry Bird—that's how big this girl is. And the tournament she had was amazing. Eight three pointers, some of the shots she wasn't even looking at the damn basket was so impressive. But then you go to the other side, Angel Reese, uh, absolutely fantastic. Fourth championship for Kim Mulkey. Here's the recipe with Kim Mulkey's teams: two bigs, not one, two. They have another one, Ladeja Williams, who was fantastic with 20 points between LaDaysia Williams and obviously Angel Reese, 35 points. And literally, they've got the whole bigs of Iowa in the foul trouble. Fantastic game last night. It's just a shame that we're talking about some of the stuff that happened with Angel Reese with a 20-year-old kid maybe celebrating a little bit too much. But to be fair, Caitlin Clark did it to Haley Van lifted in the Elite Eight. She dared people to shoot it in the final four against South Carolina, but hopefully that goes away and it should be a celebration of women's basketball at its finest over the weekend.
1: Yeah, and if they would schedule you know, in the regular season Iowa and LSU next year, I mean that would be super exciting. I mean that you talk about a ratings game. I mean that would be tremendous. I mean, someone's got to schedule that in Vegas or somewhere, and Iowa. They should obviously play a home and a home and a neutral site in terms of getting television ratings for college basketball. I, I know that Tennessee and uh, and Connecticut never would never schedule each other for years, but the think for the women's game to have an Iowa game uh, versus LSU would be tremendous next year.
2: Well, I think what's, what's, what's better about the women, Ira, than the men is the women go play each other at a conference. The men typically, unless it's like, you know, ACC you know, Big Ten or you know, SEC Big East or one of these challenges or a team like Michigan State with Tom Izzo who don't play anybody in the country, a lot of them avoid each other in schedule a scheduled cupcake. I have a message for some people. How about this? How about we get Miami. At Florida Atlantic next year, you want to yeah. talk about something that'll be exciting for South Florida? What? A, what? How about Miami? How about Florida State? How about you all Why don't you guys schedule Dusty May? I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, well, we got a lot to lose. It's a it's a mid major. No, 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 no. Let's be honest. You know Miami will be up there in ranking next year, but Florida, you know Florida State, you're not gonna be ranked. you in Central Florida. You're not gonna be ranked ahead of. Dusty May and Florida Atlantic, do yourself a favor. Go play them, and how about I got a better one? Go to Boca and play Dusty's boys.
1: <laughs> well, I think that game might be in the Miami arena and be a sellout. That would be tremendous. But, but anyway, James, just tell us how we can follow you. Uh, for the, you know, So just what's your, in terms of uh, social media, on the radio, how can we follow you?
2: Uh, I'll be, my Twitter handle is at CoachYoungNJ. That's CoachYoungNJ, pretty simple. Same thing on TikTok Uh, tonight at 9 to 12, uh, 9 p.m., 12 a.m. I'll be on Sirius 159, all of Sports Grid Affiliates, Amazon Free TV. Myself and Ben Stevens will do in-game live, Bracket Central, from 9 to 12. Perfect second screen experience. You can turn the sound down. I know it's Jim Nance's last game. God bless him. We all love what he's done for college basketball, but Tim's had his turn. Listen to Ben and I as we talk about the game live, and I kind of give you something that you will not see out of some of the people. You'll see it a little bit out of out uh, out of uh, out of our guy, Raf, but you won't see it out of Grand Hill. You'll see me break down the game as a coach real time to see how both Brian Dutcher and, of course, Danny Hurley adjust during the game.
1: James, I know you're super busy today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it for coming out
2: on I Run Sports. Hey, great to be with you, Ira. Listen, we're not done yet. We got NBA playoffs coming up. Miami Heat, let's see. Can they make one last run? I hope so. All right, thanks a lot, Coach. Thanks
0: a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Ira. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. This show is previously recorded. We did it earlier on Monday because Ira is in Houston getting ready for the college basketball national championship game. Let's talk NBA, Ira, because the season is dwindling very quickly. And it looks like at least in the East, we know where teams are going to sit at, at the top of the bracket, maybe not so much at the bottom. It's 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 funny.
1: The Bucks just blew out the Sixers. They lost earlier by Boston by like forty. But but the Bucks now look like they are the top seed. Boston two games back. This is the final week of the season. And Sixers are the are the third seed. Cleveland the fourth seed. New York the fifth seed. Brooklyn the sixth seed. That's pretty much set. So you're going to have your first round series. Cleveland New York. I mean it is going to be awesome. That series. Hopefully Randall comes back for the Knicks. Uh, but that's going to be a great series, and you're going to have the Sixers versus Brooklyn, which I think the Sixers got lucky. I don't think Brooklyn – Brooklyn, I never – when they made the trade with Durant and Kyrie, I thought they never would be in that sixth spot. But there's still two games ahead of Miami, and there's only like, what, four to five uh, four to play, and they also have the tiebreaker on it. And I criticize Miami. They lost three games in a row. They put themselves in a the position that they have to be in the play-ins game. And remember, now Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, and the Bulls are the four – it looks like there'll be the 4 playing teams. Miami, if Miami hopefully will stay up in the seventh position, Miami then would play, say, Atlanta or Toronto. Miami wins, they're in at the seventh. If they lose, then they play the winner of the 10-9 game. They lose that. They're out of the playoffs. They play two games, series over. Remember last year we went the whole way to, to end of May with Miami playing basketball. This could be over the second week of April uh, in terms of if they, if, they get, if they get stuck in the playing game. And I'll tell you what, I'm nervous. Atlanta Trey Young goes they play Atlanta in a game Trey Young could score 40 points 50 points in a game Devontae uh, Murray have a big game Atlanta's good so Atlanta potentially could win that. and Toronto you saw what Toronto just did to Miami Toronto's a tough team too I, I, they could lose I mean Atlanta Toronto could be the 7 and 8 over Miami and I wasn't you know, definitely not pleased they lose to Brooklyn they lose Toronto they, they lost at New York they finally beat Dallas at home but everybody's being Dallas at home uh, so hopefully they have four games to get ready and get ready for the playoffs but they're going to need Butler, Hero, and Adebayo to all play well. Um, I just don't. i have just. It's, they're waiting to the end to get turned this on, but they seem to be limping to the playoffs and not going in strong.
0: Yeah, surely uh, a discouraging season for Miami. You know, every, every game, especially the winnable ones, it's like, all right, like this is a must win tonight, and they'll come out and lose by 20. It's like, little things like that have just been so frustrating this year as a Miami Heat fan. How's the West looking?
1: The West Denver is going to be the first seed, Memphis the second, Sacramento the third, and Phoenix the fourth. Then it's like from fifth to 11, they're all still very close. And it seems like everybody wants to get that sixth seed because if you're sixth and you play Sacramento, the Warriors are trying to play you know, with this. But the Warriors are 9-30 and of the road, 32-8 home. I've never seen anything like this. They just lost to Denver when Denver did not have Jokic. The question is, Andrew Wiggins comes back. Paul George has been out for the Clippers. Is he going to be healthy to come back in the playoffs? I mean, you look at the lineup and you look how Denver has played in the last month. And uh, you look at Phoenix and Durant back in Booker, and if Durant and Booker stay healthy and Paul stays healthy, <laughs> I feel like they are the favorite. they don't stay in the West, and they're going to be the fourth seed. And then I saw the Lakers play last night, and Anthony Davis scored 40 points, 15 to 20. He's getting shooting shots from all over the court except three points. So he's not just settling for three-point shots. Look dominating. LeBron looks fantastic. I tell you, I've watched LeBron. He looks like someone made a comment on TV that he looks like he lost 10 pounds. I don't know if he lost ten pounds. He is flying around the court. Uh, he is dunks. He is. I have pictures on Iron Sports. I put it on my Instagram. He is way over the rim. I mean, he is forty going on, you know, going on twenty one. I have seen him as a play his whole life. He is jumping higher and stronger and faster. I mean, he is playing great, and he's of course passing, and he seems to be comfortable with his team. They don't have Westbrook anymore. It seems like everybody knows their roles. Uh, Lakers are dangerous. That's all I'm saying. And New Orleans, if Zion comes back, they're dangerous. And Minnesota keeps losing, but they have towns back and then Oklahoma City. So it's really everything in the West is super interesting. It looks like the Lakers, New Orleans, Minnesota, Oklahoma City would be in that seven, eight, nine, ten play in series, which could be um, tremendous. Dallas, 37 and 42. They're still one game out of the play in. Since February 8th, I was there at the game when Kyrie was traded, they were 29 and 26. Since then, they've gone eight and sixteen. They've lost seven in the last eight. They are three and nine with Luca and Kyrie playing together. I swear, I think Kyrie. I don't know who besides LeBron would want him on his team. It seems like wherever Kyrie goes, it's someone else's fault. It's this when he was in Boston, it was Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's fault. He leaves, they play great. You know what is it? Brooklyn. He leaves, they play better. Uh, when, he, you know, when he was in you know in Cleveland, they go to the finals without you know all this. It's always someone else's fault. And now he goes to Dallas, and this is. A Disaster, you know, in terms of what they made the trade. So they would be in like the top playoffs in the top seeds, And now they, they're going, they went eight and 16 since the trade. And they just amazing. It's just a, it's crazy to think what happened with the Dallas Mavericks and, and Mark Cuban cannot be so happy about the whole situation.
0: It's Ira on sports, true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. As Ira said, great pictures uh, from all across sports at Ira on sports. Let's talk a little NHL here, Ira. And people, if they're not following hockey intently, may not realize that the Boston Bruins are on pace to perhaps break the all-time team point scoring record set by Montreal in 1976-77. They've got five games to go. I'm sorry, six games to go. If they get 10 points, they're gonna break that. So they're on pace for this. Their goal differential is plus 120. They've scored 120 more than they've allowed. The next highest in the league is 52. That just goes to show how good this team is this year. But it's throughout most circles, Ira, any team in the East can win this. Any team that comes out of the playoffs. And there's going to be, you know, the 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 way it's being said now is four potential Stanley Cup teams are going to be eliminated in the first round of the East because every team can make it. Florida, unfortunately, on the outside looking in right now, they need, uh, they need to make up some points here. They've got five games to go and they're a point out of the playoffs. I don't know what's going to happen with Florida, and I don't know why they went from, you know, the best team in the league last year to potentially not making the playoffs. Kind of the same thing that the Heat did, you know, one of the best teams to not making the playoffs. And people can look to the fact that they lost their top scorer last year in Jonathan Huberto. They traded him for Matthew Kachuk. Kachuk is having a record-breaking season. He's got over 100 points. He's going to have his best season ever. To me, it has to fall back on coaching. Anytime a team takes a drastic step back like that, they've got a new coach in Paul Maurice. And that, to me, has to be where the accountability goes because pretty much the team's the same. We're hoping that they make the playoffs, but like I said, in the East, any team can win this. I know Boston is heads and shoulders above everyone now, but I'm not going to be surprised if they lose in the first round. We saw the Panthers win the President's uh, Trophy last year, lost in the first round. We saw uh, it happen to the um uh, the the Lightning three years ago, Presidents Trophy lost in the first round. You have any takeaways from the East here? I know your your Pittsburgh Penguins are in it, but to me, they'd be the weakest of the playoff teams.
1: I just think it's exciting that Tampa again. It, I think that. Maybe this year, it seems like they do better in the playoffs when there's less pressure. I think Boston sort of has, has looked, you know, fantastic and everything, and Tampa is just lurking back there. I think that when they won the president, when the, when the bullseye was on them, that's one thing. Now I think they're positioned again. I mean, forget when I mean, Tampa has. It's been this dominant run in the Stanley Cup Finals, and the year after year, I, I like Tampa. I, of course, I love going there to watch the games because it's easy for me to go to and drive over there. Hopefully, so I can go to Florida Gates, too. But and also to get the three New York teams in to, to have the Rangers and the Devils and the Islanders all make that. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. You see, you see, so you know the only sad thing about the East is it looks like no Ovechkin, no Washington. The Washington Capitals did uh, not are not going to make the playoffs, so you're not going to have uh, one of the all time goal scorers of all time in the Playoffs.
0: yeah and in the western conference there's really no standouts i mean you looking from top to bottom and with the exception of colorado the reigning stanley cup champion i think there's six teams in the east that could beat every one of these teams it's going to be interesting to see who comes out i mean for me this one's like throwing a dart at a dartboard i do have good news for you though ira your your Connor mcdavid led edmonton oilers are in the playoffs for sure so you're going to get to see him maybe you got to go to edmonton for a game uh, this this postseason
1: I would, you know, that the NHL has got to be hoping for this. I mean, if Connor McDavid in the Stanley Cup Finals could be playing, you know, a team in, like the Rangers or something, I mean, that would be what they would like so people can see how great McDavid is and not playing at 1 in the – watching hockey at 1 in the morning. So I think that's the goal is can Edmonton get through this? Can they make a run? You have, of course, Vegas and L.A. and, and then the Dallas and Colorado, the, the, the traditional markets that have played well. But if Connor McDavid – people could see. You saw, look, Caitlin Clark, the super superstars – Drive the ratings. LeBron, Jordan, Magic, Bird. You know, uh, 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 Connor McDavid. That's I think a problem is he's playing in Edmonton. He plays in the middle of the night, and I think if people see him, then like I think that would really help hockey if somehow Edmonton could make it to the Stanley Cup Finals.
0: Yeah, I mean, how bad do you think Gary Bettman and the NHL want him to be traded to the East Coast just so he could play (laughs) at seven p.m. Eastern time instead of ten? But regardless, hey, I'm up watching it, and and it's it's must see hockey anytime he's on the ice. Let's go to tennis, Ira, and you. I mean, in addition to, to being in Houston right now for the, uh, you know, the, the NCAA championships, you took in a lot of tennis as well. You've had a very busy week, as I said.
1: Yeah, I love going down. Look, the tournament, I wish it was in Key Biscayne. I love it there. It's actually easier to drive to Fort Lauderdale. You jump on the turnpike and you're right down at the tournament. It is It's crazy scene, though. I mean, the, the play in the football stadium is an awful arena. They're building the F one. I mean, they're telling the fans, be quiet. While they are building, they, the steer girders are being brought in, and you hear all this sound. It's like, don't worry about the fans talking. It is crazy how loud it is. Um, but I just love the fact that, you know, besides Djokovic, Nadal's been injured. Djokovic wasn't allowed to go because of the COVID issues, but it was great. I like this tournament. They, it's on a super fast surface. So it benefits. It, you can get upsets. This is a tournament. I keep telling people, bet this tournament because it, it's a player who has an average serve can hold his serve. And if he just gets one break, he's able to go through and do well. Usually the top Two, a couple seeds win the tournament, but in the earlier rounds, there's tons of upsets. Round of six, and I love on Tuesday, round of sixteen. You got eight matches out there. You can I would go. I went saw Sinner from Italy versus Rublev Russia. Then I went in and saw Fritz Taylor Fritz of America versus Rune of Norway, a nineteen year old like Sinner and Alcaraz, one of these young players. Fritz uh, beat him, and then I then I go back to the the grandstand and back to the stadium and saw Alcaraz. Uh, versus Tommy Paul, Akaraz wins that match. And so really it was like so cool to be, you know, hanging around and going to all these matches during that day on, on Tuesday. And then Wednesday I saw a center win over an upset Emile Rovar, uh, someone who uh, an unranked player. Uh, and it was cool because I was in the stadium, I got a pass for the seventy two club, which is awesome to go into. I mean that I just I never would pay that money to go to a Dolphin Game of the City Club so you can get it from the tennis. And it is beautiful in there and especially when it rains, you can have lunch and dinner and everything. I love that seventy two club at the at the Hard Rock Stadium. And then Thursday then I I, I was going to stay and watch watch Fritz and Alcaraz. That's the match I want to see. Carl Alcaraz and Taylor Fritz. But it starts to rain. I'm like, I'm never, never going to play it. And there were people, thousands of people rushing to the inn. I'm like, I don't think he's going to play. They kept pushing. I left around like 7 or 8 o'clock. They never, they never played the match. <laughs> people who went there, I felt so bad for them. They like sat for four hours in the rain. And it just they don't play. But it rains a little bit. The courts, they don't even cover the courts. There's no tarp because it would uh, cause moisture. So they just have to dry them when it rains. So they play the next day, and Alcaraz destroyed for it six four six two. Uh, I wasn't here; I was in, the, in Houston for that. And then Medvedev uh, beat Hacsonov at three sets on Friday, in one semi. And then Sinner in Alcaraz—I watched this on Friday at night—beat uh, Alcaraz in three sets. Tremendous match. I mean, this is a match that they played the US Open, and Alcaraz won. with Sinner on match point, it went on for like six hours. Alcaraz beat Sinner at Indian Wells. So this is going to be a great rivalry. Both are 19, 20 years old, and centers improved a lot. He has a new coach, and uh, that was a great win for him. But it just tired him out for Sunday. Medvedev destroyed sinners. seven five, six, three, wasn't even close. Medvedev loves this fast service, loves the fact that he can just serve and, and nobody can return it. He stands back there. And a uh, big win for Medvedev, who get himself get himself ready. Now, he doesn't play well on clay or grass. We're he not, not here, Medvedev, until the U.S. Open. But, uh, but that was a, it was a good win for him. And on the women's side... I'll tell you what, American women, terrible performance. Jessica Pula was the only American woman in the final sixteen in an American tournament when they should really have seven or eight players. Uh, Coco Gauff lost early. Uh, Pagula lost in the quarterfinals. And they uh, it can vote, uh, Petra Kvidega beat Ravikina 7-6-6-2 in the finals. But uh, from American women's perspective, they just... It's just, you're just waiting for Coco. She looks fantastic in terms of her ground strokes and the power and everything. I just am waiting for her to put it all together and make a nice long run in one of these tournaments and win one. Just didn't get it from her or or the other American women that, that it just a tournament that I said, it's on hard courts. They should be dominant. They grew up in hard courts, not clay. And it just didn't happen.
0: So Ira, baseball is back. I'm a huge baseball fan. I watched more baseball over this past weekend than, than I care to admit. So, One thing, you know, there's a lot of rule changes. I'm not for most of them. You are kind of, you know, iffy on some of them, but it is working. Baseball ratings are up. People that, you know, follow the sport are saying that, you know, this is a huge win for baseball. I don't know how much you got to watch being so busy, but the games are going faster. I'll I'll give them that if that's what they wanted to achieve. Good for them. Well, I knew it. I remember when the spring
1: training started, I went to seven, five straight spring training games. So I saw this a month ago, and so I knew what was going to happen. It's 20, it was The games I saw that first spring training week were 23 minutes faster. Surprise, they're 23 minutes faster now. Two hours and 41 minutes as opposed to almost three hours the first week. Uh, batters are hitting 310 with balls in play versus 292 because of the no-shift rule. You see left-handed batters now getting more hits, those things. Um, The one thing that I was surprised about so far is the stolen bases. Um, They're only averaging 1.6 a game compared to 1.3 last year, but the success rate is almost 90% compared to 74%. I'm interested to see how – more teams will see you start using the stolen bases. They just don't like that. Spell. I mean, I grew up with a pirate fan. Omar more I mean, I love stolen base. So I just, it's been something that's been like a lost art in the game. And I'm just waiting for it to come back. It's the one thing that hasn't come back. But I think the time of the games, people seem to be enjoying, it. you know, the fact that it's a two hour, 41 minute game, whereas basketball is like a two hour, 20, 25 minute game, sort of almost the same time as a basketball game would be. Um, but you're right. It's it, that, that's really the storyline is the fact that, They've been able to shave twenty-three minutes
0: off a game. I you know who is complaining, and I don't know if the uh, Major League Baseball like foresaw this happening, but the concessions and the vendors, because people don't want to go get a hot dog. You'll miss an entire inning. <laughs> it's no downtime anymore like that. We're like, oh, you know, maybe I'll miss one at bat. You could miss the entire inning, and I know that they're not happy that <laughs> that their sales are down.
1: No, I mean, that would be one thing, and, and that that is an aspect of it. I noticed that, you know, I don't, I, I, as I said, I noticed that at the spring training. Now, you, didn't, you weren't so concerned at spring training because, you know, you do not really concerned about every at-bat and every whatever, but if that is an issue in terms of these games going faster when people take breaks because there's no – there's not a halftime in, or a period like in the NHL or there is, so. If you're going to go and take, get something, go get a, a beer. You're going to miss an inning or two, right, the way it is, because there is no halftime. There's no 15 or 20 minute break in the middle of the game.
0: So one thing I have noticed on the stolen bases attempt, Corbin Carroll, who's a young, you're going to know his name in an, over the next decade if you don't know him already, plays for the Diamondbacks. He stole three bases in a game last night. That probably hasn't happened in like five years. (laughs) JT Real Almudo, former catcher for the Marlins, uh, now at Philly, he stole third yesterday. How often do catchers steal third? I mean, the opportunities are there, and I think the rest of the league is going to embrace it. One takeaway I do have, Ira... With the exception of Garrett Cole and Shohei Otani, the starting pitchers, especially the aces, were terrible in these opens. I maybe it takes a little longer for these guys to get going. You would think the batters would have a harder time adjusting from spring training to pros, but man, there's a lot of bad performances with like I said, with the exception of Cole and Otani.
1: <laughs> well, the one thing about the stolen bases, what people what we're talking about is that the bases are bigger. So when you go there, if you actually it, on TV, I've watched the games on TV. They don't look that big on TV. When you're in person, they look enormous. It's it's so weird. It's an optical illusion. I guess to the net or something. But the bases, it, it, they're they're it's almost like an almost a foot closer to the you know on, with each base being bigger. So it's it's easier for the players to steal the base, and also you can't throw over to first base as much. So that's why people thought. Now in the in the minor leagues last year, the stolen bases skyrocketed, but they haven't skyrocketed yet. But no, I. It, the, what, and whether the World Baseball uh, Classic had any impact on the starting pitchers and how they were pitching, I don't you know there was injury, injuries to Wainwright or whatever, but we'll have to see as it goes on in terms of what happens. But teams, look, no, but no pitchers are pitching long. We're back to the, you know, everyone is, you know, relievers are coming in in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth inning. So it, that hasn't changed at all from last year.
0: Ira on Sports True channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's switch gears, Ira, to golf. Masters week is upon us, one of the most exciting weeks of, of in all of sports. I, I happen to love it. But many people may not realize that Brooks Kepka, now of Live, has been on fire lately. He won the Orlando event this past weekend. He's got two wins in his last six outings. And this, to me, makes it even more exciting. What if Brooks Kepka comes in and wins the Masters? But regardless, he's playing about as good as he has in a while.
1: I, this is, I w- you know, the problem is you can't go to the Final Four or the Mass. It's just difficult. And I can't, I want to go. Last year I went Wednesday and Thursday. I am so I will be glued Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is going to be a tremendous tournament. I cannot wait for it. You have eighteen golfers at the eighty eight that are in Lib Golfers. That Norman just said that if they win, Mickelson, I was Norman or Mickelson said that they're all gonna gather at the end. We finally have this team concept aspect of it. It is going to be great. The Brooks kept and I look at the odds. Scotty Scheffler, of course, won it last year. I can't believe he's 65 six, six to one. I mean, he's good, but he's not a six and a half to one. That's Tiger Woods level, not Scotty Scheffler. Rory's seven and a half to one. And then you have Rom at eight to one. Ken Smith 14. Speed 14 to 1 is inconsistent. I won't do that. You go all the way down to Dustin Johnson at 28 to 1 and Brooks Kepka 30 to 1. Brooks Kepka. Thirty to one. He just played great. He says he's healthy. Justin Johnson, who won this tournament two years ago, twenty-eight to one. To me, those are where the money is. I mean, you get thirty to one on Brooks Koepka at the Masters when there's only eighty some golfers in the field. And as we talked about before, so how many of them the Sandy Lau, the Jose Maria Fables, the Mize, the Mike Weirs, the Bernard Langers, I mean they're a hundred years old. They don't count. So you really have like seven sixty five, seven golfers. You're gonna get thirty to one on Brooks, you're gonna get twenty-eight to one on Dustin Johnson. Yachting Neiman forty to one. I mean Tiger's sixty to one, but I, I Bryson has been playing terrible. I wouldn't put him at sixty five to one, but I mean even Bubba Watson is hundred to one. <laughs> you know, like uh, I, I, I really think that the money is definitely on the thirty to one Brooks and the twenty eight to one Dustin Johnson. Uh, as much as everyone likes how Schepler's playing, how dominant he is, Max Homa, all those things. I just think that this they you I really I think people are discounting live. I mean, this is built in the thing. Like they play live golf. It's not PGA. There's no chance they're going to come back. They still play golf. It's not like Brooks and Dustin Johnson have not been playing golf at all. They are playing golf.
0: I think this is crazy that their odds are so low. It's absolutely. I, I keep seeing on social media. Well, good luck going from 54 holes to seventy two Like you really think that makes that big of a difference? Okay. If you're rolling, you could play twice a day. It doesn't matter. Like all these guys, they can't go the distance now because. They, they only play 54 holes. Uh, Iron Sports, true channel. We don't have all that much time left, Ira, but get us caught up in racing.
1: Well, Max Verstappen, talk about dominating. I mean, it seems like he, anything can happen. In the, in the race in Australia, he started out the first lap. Charles Leclerc from Ferrari crashed, and it, George Russell, Mercedes, passes him. So Verstappen's in third place between, between, behind Hamilton and Russell. It doesn't really matter. He goes, he passes both of them. He's by far the best car. He's in first place, goes the whole time. Russell, then his engine blows. And the exciting part of the race was really Verstappen was just cruising along. Hamilton held out Fernando Alonso of the Aston Martin team uh, for in that position. And then Perez, Sergio Perez, who is uh, Matthew Max Verstappen's teammate at Red Bull, started in last place. They did something with engine, everything starts in last place at 20. And he came the whole way back uh, to actually be in fifth place. So he actually, when you saw him working his way back there uh, to become in fifth place, but Red Bull is dominating. And you like the fact of Mercedes fan that Hamilton finished second in a pole and had a podium position in a while. Uh, but Verstappen is just dominating. It's going to be Verstappen and Perez. I would be shocked if either one of them, if Verstappen doesn't win the title this year. And They have uh, 17 other races, 18 other races. Now, remember, in a month, Formula One is in Miami, and that's going to be huge. Absolutely amazing. It is going to dominate all of South Florida. this F1 in Miami this year as opposed to last year. I think it, last year was huge. This year is going to be even better. And then NASCAR, Carl, Carl, Kyle Larson won Richmond, his first win of the season. Remember, a couple years ago, he was the champion. He had 10 wins this season. So Larson's back at the winning circle. He's had some bad luck. He's been leading a lot of races this year and had some accidents right at the end. So he, he clearly he went at the, he was in the clear, no chance of an accident, and won in Richmond.
0: So, Ira, one headline I did not expect to see pop up is that the UFC is merging with WWE?
1: This is amazing. So, oh. Vince McMahon in 1982, and I've studied this. I love, I've always loved, loved wrestling, but it's from his father. And they used to have the rules of wrestling. Everybody had the little local areas. Vince said, no, I'm making a national sport, so that's why they have the Hulk Hogan's and bringing Hogan and taking and becoming this national. They just had WrestleMania all those things. Well, it's a 9.3 billion dollar deal that combined to a 21.3 billion dollar company. Ari Emanuel, who runs the UFC, is going to be the CEO of the company. Vince is going to be the executive chairman. Nick Khan runs the WWE uh, with Triple H. They they're going to still run the WWE, and Dana White runs the UFC. What The board is actually like six in Endeavor, which is the OC, and five on WWE, but what you're going to really see in this is the merger of these plays. You see Brock Lesnar going from UFC to WWE, Ronda Rousey did the same thing. You're going to see a lot of this back and forth, but it's funny that like, UFC is real, and WWE is fake, so it's like nuts, but that's going to be it you're going to be like watching, you know, I guess someday somebody, some wrestler is going to jump to WWE and like, you know, really hurt someone like, wait, there's not supposed to be This is stage. So it, it will be weird to see this, but, um, I, it was huge. I mean, people have talked about WWE selling, but and there's been rumored. But this is huge, and it's becoming this big company. And you're going to probably see now WWE in on ESPN because UFC has the deal or the rights with ESPN. So this is going to be very, very interesting. The thing that the whole company's died at 21 billion. That's just the value of NFL team. The Reds, the Washington Commanders are going to be sold for, I think, like $6 billion, somewhere around that level. So one NFL team is $6 billion, but the entire UFC and WWE is $21 billion.
0: So Ira, let's wrap it up with this. Florida Derby uh, this past weekend, it's in the books, and we have an overwhelming Kentucky Derby favorite. It's going to be Forte, who just won this race.
1: I wish I was at the race. I, I mean, if I was there, I would have gone down and seen it. Forte, <laughs> they're talking about this is crazy. Todd Fletcher's horse. It was. It had. They, gave, they got the eleventh position in the race. He was had. Was was rushing to try to. He was. It was had a bad start and everything. Still ends up winning the race. Was a favorite going into this. Now is a three to one Derby favorite. And we're still you know weeks away. The Arabian Knight, which was one of the second favorites, is now out. Some of the other. Quote favorites, you know, of horses that people thought are out of the race. Forte is this dominating in terms of the number. In terms, of, I mean, this is Big Brown level in terms of, and Big Brown also won the Florida Derby. So at Gulfstream, but this is uh, it'll be exciting to see what Forte comes and and to have this dominant horse going into the Derby uh, and then see if they can win the Triple Crown. Uh, American Pharaoh Justify, so we'll, about that. But uh, I, I would have loved to have been there for that. If people were there, thought it was a great race. I watched it on TV, but it was exciting to be at that ass and be there for that.
0: Hi, what are up to this week?
1: Final Four today. I do not think it'll be anything else. I, I, I it's just it, there. I'll be watching the Masters Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But excited for the Final Four tonight. Uh, it's going to be a, a electric atmosphere. I think everyone thinks UConn going to be celebrating cutting down the nets, but you never know. And, and I, it, again, I think. This will be it's an intriguing game of San Diego State, which is a team that has been able to win these close games. And if they could make it close and make Connecticut play in a close game, which you know, we talk about all the time about teams that are just dominating, dominating when they get a close game, they will struggle. San Diego State's been living with these close games. Connecticut's been blowing teams out. If it gets close there in the second half, what would happen?
0: Thanks so much to our Coach James Young. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Iron Sports.